And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So, so many of you may have seen the episode about my company, Full Scale, making the Inc. 5000, and we are really proud and happy to have done that. It was our first year eligible. Now, with that, we wanted to highlight other companies here in our hometown of Kansas City. That's right. Startup Hustle is from Kansas City, which, by the way, is in Kansas and Missouri, for those of you that didn't know. I blow people's minds when I break that news to them. Mm -hmm. But so many companies go from startup to Inc. 5000. We had quite a few amazing companies here in Kansas City make the list. And that's what we're going to focus on this entire week of Thanksgiving, because we are thankful for all of the people at our companies that have helped us win awards and do great stuff. And that's what we're going to get into today. I've got, I've got someone from Company number 134 on the five, on the list of 5,000. That's really high up on the list, everyone. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. That's my company once again, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I've got Steve Bernstein, and Steve is a partner and co-founder at CrowdFarm, and that's Crowd, but P-H-A-R-M, and there's a link in the show notes where, you know, I want you to go down and click so you can learn more about what they do. Steve has got some really interesting stories and information. I'm looking forward to the conversation that we actually started having quite a while before we hit record, so we're ready for you today. Steven, welcome to Startup Hustle. Well, thank you, Matt, and congratulations to you too on, on your company. Inc. Five Thousand is a big deal. And yeah, it's, it's neat to see so many people in Kansas City represented. We're trying really to keep cool. up with you, man. Yeah, We're trying to keep up with you. You know, let's let's just dive right in because you have such an interesting backstory, and and I've had the privilege of meeting many of the people that are 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 involved and in, and in key members of that story. So I'm going to go ahead and just hand the mic over to you, and let's hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, thanks. I. I think it's a fun story. I, I tell people when I tell the crowd farm story, it is an entrepreneurial story that's filled with successes, failures, uh, moments of doubt, and and now redemption. So I think it's a neat story. And and if you don't mind, it kind of starts with how I grew up and where I grew up, including Kansas City, and and then into what I do right now, and then into crowd farm. So um, lay it lay it on us. Yeah. So I I grew up in a, in a marketing and advertising family. My dad is an entrepreneur, Bob Bernstein, and founded Bernstein Rain Advertising Agency, one of the largest independent uh, consumer agencies in the country. And uh, my uh, my childhood, I, I guess, was a little bit unusual in marketing because my friends used to tell me this. They'd say, "You're the only house that we go over to when we um, when we watch television and the commercials come on. You're totally quiet." when football games and everything else on, you're talking like anything. And I thought that's how everybody grew up. I thought everybody was tired or quiet during commercials. And I guess that's not true. But um, 
and yeah, I grew up in Kansas City in, in a marketing family. And when I tell you this one thing, Matt, I'll, I'll tell you this, and it's probably the only thing people are going to end up remembering from me, is uh, in 1976, I my dad represented McDonald's. We've represented McDonald's for 55 years. And uh, they were trying to get kids into the restaurants. And I did what every 10-year-old did. And uh, for breakfast at that time, I ate cereal for breakfast. And I used to put the cereal box in front of me and read the same cereal box over and over and over again. My dad actually used to be angry with me. He used to come down and say, you know, he'd see me reading the same thing and, and say, can't you read your homework or the newspaper while you're eating cereal? Can't you read something other than that stupid cereal box? And I'd say, no, I'd keep putting that cereal in my mouth and turning that cereal box over and over again. But from watching me eat that cereal and read that cereal box over and over again, that's where the creation of the Happy Meal came from in 1976 when I was 10 years old. And I love to tell that story, although when I tell it, I say that's probably the only thing you're going to remember from me. But <laughs> hopefully that won't be true when I get into, in, into Crowd Farm. But uh, anyhow, it, it's it's kind of a neat story. So anyhow. Yeah, I, I went through the same thing, and you, you just brought this very vivid memory of me sitting there like staring at the back of a box of Cheerios. Yep. And so my, my mom went through the same pain and anguish that your dad did yep. and started. And, and that went from us staring at the back of the Cheerios. So she started doing vocabulary words on index cards. Yeah. So yeah. we would have a new one every day. And my sister and I, my sister's smarter than I am, but we have a large vocabulary because All because of that. of that. Yeah. So we'd have a different word every day. And if we wanted to earn our allowance at the end of the week, we had to know all five words and be able to describe them. And, well, and you know, but you talk about like filling that space in that time. Now, I, I mentioned before we hit record that I had the privilege of listening to your dad give a presentation and, and you, you and he are both very humble with the success because he's, you know, he worked with Sam Walton mm -hmm. and, and McDonald's and beauty brands and did a lot of different things like that. And was a very, very, uh, very interesting speaker. And why was I even there? Cause he was winning an award with the other Matt, Matt Watson, my yep. co-founder at full scale. And yeah, I just, uh, being growing up in and around entrepreneurship is, is, is a big thing for so many people that have become entrepreneurs. I, I, I can imagine what the Super Bowl must have been like at your house then. It was like, oh, that's a religious event. Yeah, it still yeah. is a religious event. Yeah. You know, the game is something, but we're completely quiet, and all the analysis goes into the to the commercials. But uh, so, so, how did how did that? You know, I, I think that I'm a big advocate of of teaching your kids. What, about what you do. And yep. my father was an attorney, which at his own firm, so was an entrepreneur of yep. sorts. But I remember like so many things. I, I am not an attorney, but man, I, I, I kind of think like one yep. on a lot of days. How did, how did that experience growing up? And, and also here's another thing too, is like, let's, that might've cast a big shadow or big expectations on I mean, the Happy Meal is a big deal. Who, who yeah, hasn't had a Happy Meal? It's kind of a big deal, yeah. right? Parents yeah. either love us or hate us for that. Right. But, you know, you know entrepreneurship uh, and being around entrepreneurs has to rub off. I mean, because my sister is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. My brother is an entrepreneur. My wife is an entrepreneur. Um, my, my dad's dad, his, he would, he's, if he was here, he'd be telling the story. My grandfather was an entrepreneur and not a very successful one, but he never worked for anybody. And he was one of those old school guys who used to have all of his money rolled up, everything he had rolled up in a rubber band in his front pocket. And that was my grandfather. But I think it, it has to rub off. 
I think where it rubs off is just be, is the, the, the willingness to jump and take risk, you know, and, and know that sometimes you're going to fail. Not everything you do is going to be a success. And I think you see that being around other entrepreneurs. You know, you mentioned my dad's experience and my experience with Bernstein Rain, our advertising agency. Yeah, we got an opportunity to be around Sam Walton of Walmart, Ray Kroc, McDonald's, Henry Block of H&R Block, Wayne Huizinga, Blockbuster. I mean, you can't be around those great entrepreneurs without it rubbing off. And I always say there's two things that, that were the biggest things that rubbed off on that, you know, they were all very different. But the two things that they all had in common is they all had this great ability of finding an opportunity. You know, they would see an opportunity, big or small, but they'd really focus in on that opportunity. And the second thing was just focus. They would stick on that opportunity no matter what anybody told them. You know, Sam was told when he started Walmart, he was with Woolworth, you know, which was the big five and dime at the time. He brought the idea to them. I want to open up in small towns. They said, "Eh, I don't think that's going to work. Well, he stuck to it. And boy, do you stuck, stick with it. And they became the largest retailer, largest company at the time in the world. So it's the ability to find opportunity and um, and sticking with it and jumping, you know, to yeah, taking yeah, that I risk. like to say jump and then build wings. And, and yeah. the thing that I've learned is that nothing will make you build those wings faster than the impending doom of hitting the canyon floor. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and that uh, I do advise that you have the materials to build the wings before you jump or at least know where to get them. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, it's that necessity. And, uh, you know, and, and then also solving a problem that's worth solving. Now, yeah. in regards to, to crowd farm, and once again, there's a link in the show notes. All right. All right so to, to give a little background and, you know, Watson and I did an episode and we'll put a link for this in the show notes too, about what the Inc 5000 even is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I'll refresh that for a second, being the first of a, of a series of, of shows that come out. So Inc 5, Inc, Inc.com or Inc magazine is mm-hmm. um, pretty widely distributed and they, they do an award for privately held companies, meaning you can't just go to the New York Stock Exchange and buy stock in CrowdFarm or full scale, or at least yet, in any of these things. And they look at a three-year period and they gauge your revenue growth over that period. And yep. uh, so for us, we were at like, I can't even remember the number. It was over 700%. It was like 732%. That put us at number 878. Yeah. Uh, now with that, there were, you know, roughly 7 million companies that, that qualify. Yeah. Um, there is a, you do have to let them know that you are interested in being considered, yep. but a hell of a lot of people put that application in. And so, you know, so now being at 134, that's a big deal. I mean, that's high. Cause one thing you realize when you look at the list is the air gets pretty thin in a hurry. Like you got to get some big numbers it does. in there. And so, but let, before we get into that part, like what, what's the problem that CrowdFarm solves as a business that has made it so scalable or, or popular or accelerated that growth? Yeah. Well, it, uh, it's CrowdFarm, which is a healthcare pharmaceutical advertising agency, does everything that healthcare pharmaceutical agency would do and you'd expect, but has an engine behind it that's completely different. And what that engine is, is a, a worldwide network of today, 4,700 members, it changes, it's dynamic because uh, every day we're getting new members um, in 110 different countries. And we have the technology of a platform that we use to reach out when we have a marketing challenge. We reach out to, the, to that network and we put the challenge out there and they come back with answers. And um, it's that on-demand expertise uh, that, 
that is unique to the way marketing is done. And it used to be, I've been in marketing all my life. As we mentioned, we grew up with it. And, you know, for years, everybody has been saying, we need a change. We need to find a new way to, 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 to model agencies and go after creative challenges. And clients were saying that forever, forever. People were always trying. And even though clients were asking for, when you put the new thing in front of them, they'd say, ah, I know that's the new thing, but not so fast. So it, when I tell you a little bit of the history, we started one called Boom that was a, a predecessor of uh, CrowdFarm. And I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. And so it, it did not succeed as well as CrowdFarm has. And I think perhaps the market caught up and said, okay, I know we've been asking for it. And then when you showed it, we weren't ready. Now we're kind of ready. And it's that gig economy and being able to use freelancers instead of full-time people uh, as on-demand talent. It's really been the thing. So Okay. Um, it is, I, I'm assuming that advertising pharmaceuticals has a heavy amount of regulation around it. It does. And that actually is what creates the opportunity. So, um, well, to tell you, let me tell you the crowd farm story and then I'll get to that yeah. part. So Bernstein Rain, which we talked about as a consumer agency, a leading consumer agency, about 2008, we picked up the PetSmart account. And um, we pitched against great agencies and we we're very thrilled to win it. And we were representing them nationally. But the first meeting I had with them, and this is very true, any marketer listening will say this is the case. When I first met with them, they were very honest and transparent. They said, hey, we're very fickle. We love you guys. You're great. But in three years, we're going to want a different agency. I'm like, okay, great. Thank you for being transparent. I, I hope it's five years, but okay, three years would be fine. Sure enough, three years into it, we did a good job, Bernstein Rain. They said, you know what? Um, and this sounds really trite today, but it's true. It was about 2011. They said, we need content, 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 which everybody says now, but they might've been a little bit ahead of their time saying that. And they said, your traditional agency model, it doesn't work. You know, you, you take too long to get things done. You cost too much. We're not getting out of the box thinking. You got to do something different for us. Well, I'd been watching crowdsourcing start up about that time and they had to, and they said, we'd like you to create a crowdsourcing model for us and uh, we'll stick with you if you do it. We love that you're entrepreneurs. We love the relationship. We just don't like this old model anymore. So we created, I created a company called Boom and uh, Boom Idea Net. And it was in the consumer space and it was specifically to work for, for PetSmart. And so we started a network of about 200, I mean, it didn't start at 200, but it came, became about 250, 275 people around the world, but primarily in the United States who were creatives. It's the same idea we're talking about. You put an idea out there, they were willing part-time to give you back ideas and, and you compensate them for that. And, um, and we ran that model for, uh, for PetSmart. I do want to say one thing in, in just definitions here. When we talk about crowds. We definitely exist. Crowd farm and boom before it existed in the crowd space, but we're really not a crowd. Crowd means open source, means anybody can jump in, anybody can contribute. We're actually a network, but people don't think of it that way. A network means they're vetted. We have NDAs on people, they're contracted. Mm -hmm. So they're really not a crowd, but, but people think of us as a crowd. That's what we do at full scale. Yeah. I mean, that's no, I the know. main it's thing exactly. for us is, is going through 30 applicants to maybe give, yeah. and then key the word maybe, yeah. give one job offer, but in order to, to provide service, so we work with high level tech companies and companies similar to yours that yeah. have intellectual property and need NDAs and non-competes and stuff like that. And and when you go to hire someone that's not in the United States, the question is, is what level of accountability? Do you right. Have? So we literally had to 
open a business and a legal business in the Philippines yep. and, you know, can, and do all that. And, and the, the main thing people are like, well, so you sell technical services. And I said, no, we sell peace of mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it sounds like it's very similar to what you do. Cause the, the vetting thing is, is well, and I don't ever like to compare our business. People are like, well, are you like Upwork? No, not at all. Yeah. You can go hire anybody in any country for three hours. Mm-hmm and pay them hourly. That's not what we do. We, we provide dedicated people that become a member of your team. And that's yep. like, and, and guess what? That, so that disqualifies us from working with 90% of people that might think they need a computer program yep. or a developer or whatever, yep. but that's not what we do. And they don't want to be in those marketplaces either. Yep. So, it, and so with that, I'm assuming that kind of, so you obviously working with pharma, you made yourself I, I want to say kind of a small batch operator. Cause you're not just like an open, like you're not, I'm not going to sign up at crowd farm. I'm not the kind of company that you deal with. Yeah. Well, you might sign up, but we're going to put you through a test and right. we're going to vet you. And, uh, and you probably won't make the, make the list, right. but as uh, a client or as a service provider, as a service provider. Okay. So, but that, no, cause I don't, the yeah. marketing people we have are, they just work for us and we right. don't, well, we don't provide those services. Right. Because right. we, I think part of creating a business similar to the ones we have is also understanding, okay, this is what we do and we're really good at it. Right. And then, and you mentioned the focus part. Right. So, man, that took me a long time as an entrepreneur to figure out because I think entrepreneurs like to chase shiny things. You did just tell me that you started a startup in order to provide service for PetSmart. Yep. Which that's also how businesses get started. Yeah. The thing is, is a lot of entrepreneurs, I give people this advice all the time because I learned it the hard way. You can't chase every shiny thing. No. And that's hard because yeah. we, we do oh, see man. the opportunities. Oh God. Yeah. It's, and, and I get that a lot too. We were like, Oh, you're like an ideas guy. I'm like, yeah, it's terrible. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm right. like, it's terrible. Like the noise in my head is excruciatingly yeah, it, it, it's it, it may define insanity. Yeah, no, I think you're right, Matt. And that's you, you probably know, one of the internal yeah. challenges is oh, you got all these ideas out there, you want to do them. Yeah. But you, but you realize success yeah. comes from focus. And those yeah. are two opposite things. Yeah, so, so realize, realize what you're good at and what your business is good at. And, and what you guys are doing follows the advice I give so many entrepreneurs is pick one, maybe two things and be a triple plus at. Yeah, be yeah. really good at it. And you focus on that because the clients and the relationships and the accounts that you really want are looking for that. Yeah, yeah. They're not like, hey, give me the cheapest. Right. And I hate the word cheap. Because right. Because when you think of cheap, you think of flimsy, right. crappy, whatever. No, right. We're still affordable. You're Can, a value. Yeah. You're and efficient, that, but, but you're huge, not cheap. There's a huge difference right. there. Right. So, yeah. Well, we in that story. So that's the success. I said we have success in the story that Boom was successful for, for PetSmart. It ran for about five years. Mm-hmm. It was good for them. It got them the content they wanted. It was financially good. It was good for us. Boom was very successful. But then we ran into the failure. The failure was that if you built your business on 80% or more of one client, you're going to have a problem. And we knew that, yeah. but we were keeping up with PetSmart and it was going great. But one day they said, you know, we're done. And that that's what happens in our business. And we could get into that, but there's probably not enough time for it. But so we said, oh shit, we got to go out and do something. So we said, you know what? We're perfect for agencies. We'd be perfect for advertising agencies because we know them well. We can help them scale up and scale down, which we know is a problem for agencies. And, uh, and let's go out and try to get all the agencies in the world. Great idea, horrible execution. Um, 
we did not do well picking up agencies. Agency CEOs would always love us because they'd say, oh, I see. It's going to help save us money. You'll manage our talent. As soon as we got to the creatives in the agency, they'd say, well, we don't want you guys. You know, we have our own freelancers. We, I have my own network. I don't need any of that. And so it basically stopped. Ad- advertising agencies, and I'm one of them, are inherently paranoid. We are cheap. You know, and we always think that people are trying to steer our clients. So it was not a good market. And we started burning through the money that we built up in PetSmart rapidly. And uh, I say rapidly, we were successful. So it lasted for about two or three years. But this is my first moment of doubt as we couldn't pick up clients. I was thinking, I'm an idiot. I should, as soon as we lost PetSmart, I should have closed the whole thing down, taken that money and done something else with it. But I believed in the model so much. This is that stuff where you see the shiny object. I couldn't let go. I couldn't let go of it. So I then started putting my money in and more of my money in. And I ended up working for an agency that was in the pharmaceutical business. I don't know anything about pharmaceutical healthcare, but he was somebody who I went to school with, a guy named Mike Myers, and he was in Saratoga Springs, New York. And he had an agency called Cross and Wild that was pharmaceutical, but he didn't have a creative department. So we started working for him and we were making a little bit. Again, I'm still failing as, as boom, but it was really working for him, really working for him. So then Mike, who's my co-partner now in CrowdFarm, he came to me with the idea. He said, and again, we've known each other for a long time. He said, this is really working for me. Is it working for you? And I said, well, on the cross and wild side, it's working. You know, it's working supporting you, but, it, you know, it's not as great as I want it to be. He said, well, why don't we do this thing together? Because when you're going in the consumer world, there are th- tens of thousands of agencies and there are even some who are doing crowdsourcing. But in the healthcare market, there are not. There, there is nobody doing it. And we've got an opportunity to just go into that vertical and have specialists. And that gets on the question that you asked before about, and, and even what, you, what the business you're in, um, not everybody can do this. And in, in the healthcare, it's heavily regulated. There's a lot of specialists needed in every disease state you can actually think of. And so Mike said, let's not do a network of 270 people. Let's have 5,000 people in our network, you know, because we can have an expert in every type of disease that people are looking for. We can have experts in that. And, uh, and let's build out our platform. Let's make our application. Let's make that outstanding. You've got a shoestring thing. Let's make it outstanding. I said, okay, let's do it. We decided to do it together. So now I have a partner and Mike and I built CrowdFarm. Uh, he was running Cross and Wild. I was running Boom, but we brought it together in, into CrowdFarm. And, um, the story in the end is great, but I'll give you my next moment of doubt. It is hard to bring two companies together. You've heard this before. Mike and I have, have similar philosophies, but we have different ways of going about things. And my second point where I was doubting myself that I did the right thing was it was becoming too very difficult culturally to bring the two companies together. We had real struggles in that. And, um, and it was working. But I said, Mike, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Maybe it's better that you run the thing by yourself because you're driving it. Um, it's, it's my model, but I don't know if I can handle these conflicts. Well, I'm, he convinced me not to get out of it. And I'm glad that he did because, uh, again, I was in love with the model and I wanted to stick with it. And eventually we got over the, the hurdles of bringing culture together. But I'd say it took a good year, maybe year and a half of, of some pain of, you know, he approaches things a different way than I do. The people who I brought in who worked with me, they were used to my style. The people who he brought in were used to his style. And those didn't always work together. And uh, But once we got an understanding that we're all in this together, and once we went through those pains, it actually worked very, very well. And so 
that uh, that is where CrowdFarm came from. And now today, CrowdFarm is what we talked about. We have 4,700 members worldwide. We're in 110 different countries. Um, we have not needed to borrow any money. So when we get into financing, um, uh, we've been very fortunate that we that we started, you know, with a model that that had clients. And uh, and so we only had the model was to have very few full time people and then to rely on freelance beyond that. So low fixed costs, high variable costs. And um, and and so it, it's been a great success story from there. Yeah, and that's a you know it's a, an extension of the marketplace concept, which I've spent a lot of time talking about on this show and the history of the show. And I want to have a couple comments about that before I let you know what those are. I want to remind you that finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a team quickly and affordably. Use the FullScale platform to define your technical needs, and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. I think we're a lot, lot our platform's very similar to yours in the regards yep. that like that, you know, we we vet our clients uh, actually at an equal level that we do our our talent. Yeah, that's that's the it, best place to be in. Well, some yeah, so much it's about, you know, who you're working with. And I want to talk about the marketplace thing because I have uh, uh, because of my role at full scale and then startup hustle and as an author, I've a lot of people seek opinions and advice. I'm sure you get the same thing. And, and a lot of people have a marketplace that they want to launch. And so when you're talking about like CrowdFarm or the same thing with full scale, which are, which are more exclusive marketplaces, like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you guys only want a specific type of client. And I would imagine that if you're not that type of client that you've learned to say no, Yep. Uh, same thing with, with us, but essentially what you have then is a marketplace. So you have buyers, and, and sellers, well, we're the sellers, but it, the problem with these things is if either side of that is uh, not populated or sparsely populated, it gets really hard to run the business. Yeah. Like buyers aren't in places without sellers and sellers aren't in places without buyers. And yep. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that have a marketplace type concept, regardless of what it is, whether it's services or, or any of it. And they have not given enough consideration to the difficulty of populating both sides of the marketplace. Yep. Was that difficult at CrowdFarm? Well, it happened naturally because of Mike's expertise. And again, okay. he was our largest client in Boom. And do, do you agree that that's a problem oh, with the marketplace? Absolutely. Thing? And like that is a marketplace. Oh, absolutely. And and you asked me earlier, maybe what was our reasons for success? I mean, there are three. We touched on one. The model is something that clients like. But the other thing is the marketplace. And I feel like I lucked into it, but Mike, my partner, worked very hard to be in. And it is pharmaceutical and healthcare. Pharmaceutical and healthcare is doing very well now and doesn't look like it's going to slow down because we're all aging and uh, we're all needing more prescriptions and medicines and therapies and all types of things to, uh, you know, to, to keep things going. And so um, our marketplace is really every drug manufacturer who wants to launch a new product. And you just watch television today, although it's not just on television, you can see how many new drugs are being launched all the time. And it's a great marketplace for us. So, so um, that's one of the keys to success. What, what, and you don't have to give away the trade secrets, yeah. but what were a couple things that, or what are some tips that you could give? Uh, well, first I'll, I'll lead with one. I tell people, because a lot of times it's a software startup, 
you know, and they, yeah. they want to, they want to bridge the gap between buyers and sellers somewhere. Right. And, and I say, and I say, you're, you need to be prepared to give it away for free yeah. for a while. Cause yep. you have to, especially if it's empty, like, why do I want to sign up? It, it'd be like, you, you don't go to well, Craigslist, maybe antiquated at this point, but you don't like our eBay or any of these things. Yeah. If no one's selling anything, if you go to put in XYZ product in eBay and there are zero results, right? You go look somewhere else. Right. Right. And the problem with that is it's hard enough to get buyer or even a seller into the marketplace in general. And yeah. they just jet out the door right after. So like that, like I said, that early adoption of like, say, I'm not going to charge you buyer or seller fees. Yeah. And the problem is though, is that means you have to pay, you have to, engage in marketing to get people in and you yep. got to be ready to eat, eat, you got to be ready to eat your own expense report Yeah, I, for a little I, while to get people in. I mean, that's one thing, that's one way to get people in where there's some others that. Well, Matt, I, I agree with you totally. You know, you can have a great model, you can have a great marketplace, but the first question that somebody's going to ask is, well, show me who you've done it for in before. And you might hit the unicorn who wants to do it, be the first one with you. You might, but but I wouldn't build a business hoping to find that unicorn. So I, I would say you got to build your book. And yes, the first few clients we did, we did, you know, we, we did it scraping by and we'll still, even today, if it's the right client, if it's the right client, we'll, we'll do it at very low margin and maybe even not make money on it just so that we can put it in our book because case studies mean everything, not just for our business, for your business too. show us who you've done it with before show us the advantages that you're telling us about show us how it actually worked in the marketplace for somebody else it's a chicken and egg problem we yep. all had as 23 year old entrepreneurs or even just people seeking a job yeah everywhere everywhere wants experience how am i going to get experience if no one will give it to me yeah i'll go out and figure it out yeah you know that's that's uh i've had uh uh you know i've i've talked to i've had a lot of people that have said dude i'll come work for you for free yeah and I don't ever take them up on that because I don't think that you know, I'll pay you anyway. But yeah. you just talk about wanting to get exposure. Right. And I go back to the, you know, there was something you said at the beginning of the conversation. You're talking about growing up around some some pretty influential entrepreneurs. What There's something we say here a lot that um, we try to be cognizant of is that until you've seen winning, it's often hard to win. And there's a there's a value to that. And, yeah. and some of the things that just even it, it could be, you look at, uh, well, look at a team like the Kansas city Royals, which quite honestly is a terrible team that mm -hmm. rarely wins, mm -hmm. but they have some good moments or whatever, but you look at teams like that and they keep around role players and people that set a good example for those that are coming up. And that's to show you winning yeah. and to show you professionalism and how to get it done. And I think that for anybody that's wanting to get started, you know, we talk about, okay, so how do you start up and then go to Inc. 5000? Get yourself exposed to some of it or be ready to just fully immerse yourself and be ready to fail a lot. Yeah. And yeah. Dude, I fail all the time. Yeah. And I ha sometimes have people that'll say things and the same thing with Matt Watson, because we were joking as he might us. Because by the way, Matt had three companies in the Inc. 5000 this crazy. year. This year. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, so, but, but with that, he'll be the first person to tell you that he fails all the time. Right. Like he, and, and he's a software developer at heart, which is like literally scientific failure again and again and again and again. You're like, yeah. I'm going to try something else, try something else, try right. something else. But I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a guaranteed thing. So uh, if you had to talk to, well, what would you tell yourself 20, 
25 years ago. Well, it's probably the same thing I tell myself today. And, and you probably would say the same thing. Yes, I failed a lot, but don't be afraid to fail. And I still take failure horribly. I, I have a horrible time failing. I, I take it personally right. on some levels for myself. I right. mean, just like, you know, I don't like losing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but what would I tell myself to, in, in addition to not being afraid to fail? I think it's what you said. It's, and, and it's what I think I started with maybe by accident, but surround yourself, be around other successful people, be around other entrepreneurs, realize what they've done. You know, it's all right to model people. In fact, it's great to model people. You know, there's a lot of people that I admire. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit of, of boom, um, VML who's done yeah. wonderfully well here. Um, and their leader, John cook. Um, I think John's a great leader. And I went before I created boom, I went to a speech that he gave, uh, for the ad club and they were asking him, okay, you've done a great job with VML. What are you afraid of next? And he referenced a scene in Jurassic park. I don't remember which of the Jurassic park movies, but it had the dinosaur in it that was evolving. And now it had new skills and all that. And John said, that's the thing I'm most, I'm most afraid of is something that doesn't exist today. And that really stuck with me. And I haven't had a chance to tell John, but that's one of the things that really inspired me to go into Boom and, the, and therefore CrowdFarm. And so um, it was modeling people like John Cook and VML, but, but being around other entrepreneurs and seeing how they stick to an opportunity and focus, focus, focus. People uh, ask the question, I tell them the same thing and they'll say, well, how do I, how do I get around? You just ask. Yeah. It's ask. true. I've literally made a living doing that. And, and, th but there's a key component to that because please do not contact me and, ask, and give me a coffee invite. I'm not coming. I'm not <laughs> going to drive all the way across town to meet a stranger in a coffee shop to talk about something and then spend the time driving back home. But if you make it convenient, yeah. So if you want to get help from people, make it easy for people to help you. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, that's just a key thing. And, and, you know, the, uh, I was talking about this to someone yesterday, um, that, you know, at, at, I'm 47 years old now. And I think as entrepreneurs age, we all look back at our stories and we're like, man, why did, why did that person take an interest in me? Why did they even care? It would have been so much easier to blow me off, but it's that someone else took interest in them. Yeah. And, right. And, and with that, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's people that get my attention and I feel, I feel kind of beholden to transfer some of the knowledge and experience. Yeah. But I will say that all of them, so when I say make it easy, this is, if I wanted to reach out to you, uh, this is how you do it. Say, Hey, Steve, I, first off, I, I'm a, I'm a big admirer of all the things that you've done. And I know that you have so much information and knowledge that you could pass along. I'm interested in some of that. Uh, can I, can I come to you? Can I, you know, or, or whatever. And yeah. then I'm going to, you know, if you tell me, you're like, you'll find that that, that, that ask yep. will get responses. And because otherwise it's like, if you try to make people go out of their way yeah. to help you, yeah. uh, you're not going to get as, you're not going to get as much help. And it's the same thing. It's like, uh, I've, I've run into a lot of stuff. I actually had someone want my advice on a pitch deck once. And I said, well, there's a lot of problems with this. And they said, well, will you fix them for me? <laughs> no. Yeah. No, right. I'm doing other shit, you and, know, but and who are you again? But, well, right. it's, it's not even that. It's like, no, it's, yeah. it's not my thing. And, and, but if you told me if I really wanted your help, your input, your advice, and you said, okay, I'll meet you at 3am on Sunday. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there. And yeah. I'll, and I'll say, how much time do I have? And, you know, and can I bring anything with me? Yeah. 
And, and if you do that, you'll find that a lot of people will be really receptive. And I always, I always point out my friend, Sandy Kemper, the, you know, and you, you probably know Sandy and he's the founder of C2FO. And I remember, you know, Sandy's got 10 million things. He, 25, yeah. he, he was in here not too long ago and uh, 25,000 companies on board at C2FO a day. It's crazy. So I saw, get, I saw 25,000 reasons to yeah. do something else other than talk to me. But I remember I, I needed some help and some advice and I, and I emailed him and I was like, Hey man, I really, uh, I, I, I could use your help. I could use your advice and tell me, you know, when, where, whatever. And he replied in two minutes and said, come on by. Yep. And I was like, shit. All yeah. right. Yeah. And, 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 and I went, yep. you know, I like dropped what I was doing and, and well, just you would for it. Sandy, right. What, what he gave right. me, but he gave me advice and that, and that what was only about a 15 minute meeting that actually he gave me a blueprint that I ran with and you talk about like no funding. So we didn't ever sell, we don't have any investors in full scale, but um, we, we were trying to bridge the gaps and, you know, Sandy gave me advice. He's like, you create your own venture debt. And I was, and I honestly, at the time I'd never even heard of it. It's, but you create your own lending pool. You don't have, you don't have investors, you have lenders and you pay them an amortized return in order to, but don't give up part of the company. You don't give up any of the company. So it's, it's non-dilutive capital and it accomplished exactly what we needed to do. And then, and then of course I gave him the first opportunity to be one of those lenders and he became one. That's great. But I, but I came proper and I came prepared and I, and and with that, I wasn't like, Oh, Hey, you know, lend me some money. I I had it all prepared and I came back and, and with that, you know, give the same people that have helped you opportunity to help again, if that comes up with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, coincidence or maybe not, I grew up with Sandy. We mm-hmm. went to the same high school. He was a year older than me. So we know each other well. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, talk about another person to admire. And Sandy's somebody whose his ideas are so far out there. Uh, most of the time, I don't even understand what he's talking about, to yeah. be honest. But Dude, then he makes, too. but actually, he makes them happen. I give him a hard time because, you know, he loves startup hustle. He's been, yeah. he's been on three different times. And um, and he's one of the few people that I let send me a list, Yeah. He'll, but he'll send me, he, here's five things that I, we could talk about. And I always give him a hard time. Cause I'm like, dude, you're making me do a lot of homework. Like, <laughs> you want to talk about like the macroeconomic effects of small business arbitrage and you know, like all these different, I'm like, dude, but yeah. Matt, you got to do that. If you're well, going to no, keep up it. with Sandy, I, well, Seriously. I, did. I did. And that's so. another thing. He's like, well, I mean, I, these are things I thought would be interesting and I, and I, and I want you to be prepared. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I was, but yeah. I give him a hard time about that. Right. But, but yeah, and that, but that's, that's the, the point is with, with that is like that he didn't have to take time to talk right. to me. I mean, he had no vested interest right. in my success at that time or whatever. And literally in a very, I mean, 15 minutes changed the shape and the trajectory of so what cool. we did. And we turned That's that cool. around. Like we created that venture, those venture, uh, that venture debt program within like 10 days and, hmm. and had, and, and achieved about $700,000 in funding yeah. from people we knew within the next 10 days after yeah. that. So, you know, rather than, and, and you look back at some of these things that, that, change your path or your trajectory and some of that. And like, I'll never forget that. I was one of that up. And we even talked about that the last time he was here. And, but the key was, is I made it easy for him to help me. He didn't have to go anywhere. He was sitting in the same seat when I got there that he was in when (laughs) I sent the email. That's awesome. He didn't have to move to help me. I mean, that's a key thing. And, And, you know, I think that that's, 
that's important. All right. It's one of the reasons your startup hustle works so well. Um, you know, entrepreneurs, some of them may be humble, some of them not, but every entrepreneur likes to talk about their journey and is happy to share it. Is happy to share it. I've actually, because this comes out five days a week, so many people are like, that must be a lot of work. I'm like, well, not necessarily for me because, <laughs> you know, we have a great support team that I, I, our, our request was that I need to sit down and went and hit record and then hit, hit stop and be able to go back to doing other things. But yeah, people are like, well, where do you find the guests? I'm like, it's easy. They're like, man, I tried to do a podcast and I, I couldn't find any guests. I'm like, well, did you ask? Cause people really love to talk about themselves. Of course. And, and you know, it's also, I mean, that obviously got a lot easier as this platform right. got a little bigger. And well, we talked about, you know, starting a business too, even starting this, of course I knew of, of startup hustle. I'd listened to it a few times, but before as a guest, I went back and looked how many you had. I thought, man, if I could be included in that group, that's great. So again, looking for your case yeah. studies, even on Startup Hustle to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy. You, to I'm do. glad you came in because at this point, we've had a lot of people that, uh, you know, so we'll have our fifth birthday. That's amazing. At Startup Hustle this year. And Startup Hustle is older than Full Scale was. Yeah. So that we, Watson and I started Startup Hustle because we wanted to tell the real story of entrepreneurship. And we came in hot. Episode episode one is like what we're, what Startup Hustle was going to be about. And episode two is titled Getting Funded Sucks. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we figured like someone needs to tell people that like it's the real, the yeah. real deal with it. And that entrepreneurship is not easy and it's not for everyone. Right. I mean, it is truly not for everyone. And you need, I think you need to resolve yourself to whether it's for you or not. Um, and you have to have an appetite for risk. Yeah, and not everybody know, does. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Because I did. You know, I think I did too. I can't um, remember. People like people ask me that a lot. They're like, when did you know you wanted to become an entrepreneur? My answer is I don't remember a time when I didn't. Right. Well, again, I was around my dad, who is a true entrepreneur. He started with nothing. And so he was always creating things. So we all grew up. I have two other siblings who I mentioned. We all grew up always trying to create something new. What's the next thing new? And getting frustrated when you couldn't, you know? Um, so I, I, yes, I think I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and create some of, some of that feels genetic now that I have kids. Cause my daughter especially is like a super creator and salesperson. I, I remember when she was, I think it was her fourth, fourth, she was four and we gave her a lemonade stand for Christmas. And of course <laughs> she wanted to sell lemonade after I have a video of this somewhere. And I remember, I remember asking her and she has all these cups of lemonade. She's like, do you want to buy some lemonade? I'm going to say, I do. How much is it? And she says, $5. <laughs> I said, that's a lot for lemonade. She said, and literally was, I realized what an amazing salesperson she was like, and I never taught her any of this. She goes, yeah, but it could be, you're never going to know if it's the best lemonade you've ever had. If you don't try it. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. A four-year-old just outclassed most of the salespeople that I know that are adults, because that was an excellent way to handle an objection. That's awesome. You'll never know if it's the best lemonade you've had if you don't try it. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. And that that was, uh, I also took her to uh, uh, one of Lauren Conowitz, who's a, co a regular co-host. And make sure you tune in for Lauren's shows. They're great. She's been a, a weekly uh, host for two over two years now. But I took her to an Innovate Her fundraiser event, like a pitch competition. And there was eight, uh, eight female founders that presented and wanted to raise money. I took my daughter with me and she was like, barely, that was right around that same age. And, and she was chomping. She wanted to get up and give a presentation. And I was <laughs> like, you know, you're not ready for that. And she goes, well, I want to start my lemonade stand. I said, well, you need money to do that. And she goes, well, how do I do that? Cause they're asking for money. I said, go ask people for money. And she went around the room and she raised like $9. 
but but which but she knows I the process out was on, amongst the top money raised that night <laughs> that's funny but she went out and asked and right. you know it was kind of like i actually had to slow her down because i was like i'm gonna maybe have to give some of this i tried to give it back and people that gave it to her. They're like, no, that's great. It sounds like she's great. Got a great start. I have a daughter too. She told me yesterday in marketing and I'm, I'm impressed with her. She said, dad, I've listened to you a lot. You don't sell just products and services as an advertiser, as a marketer, you, you sell feelings. Mm-hmm. And I go, Isabel, that is right. I yeah. go, you are right on. It's like the peace of I, mind comment. Yeah. yeah. I go, can I borrow that? She yeah. goes, yeah, you can borrow it. Yeah. So anyhow, yeah. so I'm borrowing my daughters. I'm not, where I'm not helping you sell products and services. I'm helping you sell feelings. Man, she has got marketing down. Well, and, that, well that's, and that's the point that, that I had earlier with the peace of mind com- commentary. Cause you know, with what we sell, people are worried. Like you look at building software is like, well, Okay. Would you would you want to take apart my Rolex and put it back together? Because I'd feel really uneasy with that yeah. unless I understood your experience or skills as a watchmaker. And if you're right. like, yeah, but I'll figure it out, I'd be like, eh, maybe not the right thing for right. me. So, you know, software engineering is kind of the same thing. If you put the wrong person in, and they yeah. can really muck up like a, a ton of stuff. Yeah. So that is always rattling around in people's minds. And then you also have preconceived notions because a lot of people believe that, well, in America, we all think that America does everything better than everyone else, which by the way, isn't always true. And that's not an unpatriotic comment. That is a realistic comment. Right. But they've had a bad experience with a company in India or maybe even the Philippines where we're out and whatever. And and they're like, well, I don't want to go through that again. Right. So the peace of mind thing is, is re- so without peace of mind, nothing else really has much flavor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you lose that peace of mind, especially as an entrepreneur, like as an entrepreneur, yeah. if I, if I could sell you a healthy glass of peace of mind, that'd have a pretty damn high price tag on it Yeah, because that's a tough thing to get. Yeah. And so if you can find ways to, to do like you mentioned, or even like feelings, yeah. Cause like I would think in pharmaceuticals, it's like, that can be a bland kind of thing. Like here's some, something that I'm having a hard time even pronouncing yep. for the name of your medication. Then what does it, what does and it fixes this? If you can sell the feelings for how someone's going to react, if, yep. if, if that pharmaceutical successfully accomplishes, you know, you, you, whatever you, yep. I mean, if someone has eczema, right. They hate that. Right. And, if, and, and that, and that c- contributes to a lack of, of peace of mind, but what are your feelings if you're like, wow, well, you just hit on the magic of yeah. our network. Yeah. I mean, so, so we have people from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, from all over the world, you get all those contributing to what they think the feeling behind that product should be. And then you, you can find the right one. I love saying, by the way, it's a little bit of a jump out, jump off point, but in marketing, I believe the good a- answer, the winning answers out there somewhere. It's yeah. our job to find it. Mm-hmm. So again, why wouldn't I want thousands of people trying to find well, that yeah, answer yeah. instead of just a few? Yeah. And that's uh, so we're here in the studio next to this giant metal startup hustle logo, mm-hmm. which by the way, was crowdsourced. Cool. That was not a 99 designs thing. Yeah. Like five years ago, which that's what we're not, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but, but, but you got a good one for that. Yeah. Cause I spent a couple hundred bucks yep. and, uh, and the whole idea of the crowdsourcing was that was, they call it a contest. Mm-hmm. And, but but I wanted a lot of different concepts and that stood out right away. Yep. Like right away. And five years later, we get a ton of, of, of comments on it. People want the stickers, the shirts. And, yep. And you, know, you look at it, it's a dollar sign and the dollar sign is wearing 
a set oh, of love headphones, it. right? You know, and and that, and it, but but the crowdsourcing. I mean, there was dozens or maybe even hundreds of people that put in on that. Yep. And I think from when when it comes to creativity is is a great thing. Yep. Because you never know where that good idea is going to yep. come from. It could come from a four year old. Right. It could come from a forty four year old. It come from right. an eighty four year old. As long as we vetted them. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. True. Right. Well. You know, thanks so much for joining me once again with me today, Stephen, Steve Bernstein, partner, co-founder at CrowdFarm, Inc. 5000, number 134 in the 2022 list. Proud to have you in Kansas City. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say that this was your first time on, you know, we, that's part of why we looked at the list and we're like, uh, we, we've joked that Startup Hustle here in Kansas City has become a rite of passage. For many people, we've had we've had people that have come back a second and a third time. Well, now I'm in the club. It's like yeah. hosting Saturday Night Live, right? I'm, right. I just have right. I, I get my jacket if I come on so many times. Yeah. Is that yeah. what well, happens? We can't tell everyone, you know, what the secret handshake is. Okay. So if you, you, if you told- want if you want to apply to be a guest, go to startuphustle.xyz okay. and fill out the form. And good luck. It's a long list right now. But do I get the secret handshake when we yeah. uh, sign off? Yeah, totally, okay. totally. And cool. let's go ahead and do that, man. I'll catch up with you next time. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.